Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are on Spotify Live and we're discussing um, Rich Strike, who won the Kentucky Derby number 148. And I think what is so awesome about this is that for the past couple weeks, I've had people who have never expressed an interest in horses or horse sports come up to me and tell me how much they enjoyed the Derby this year. So um, it was it's really enlightening and so happy to see i think the fact that the horse was 80 to 1 didn't get in until just a few minutes before the closing deadline on friday um makes such a huge difference that you you can't buy the derby i mean it's the horse that gets the best trip that wins and this horse was a thirty thousand dollar claimer so first horse that ever was claimed to win the derby happened and then also he was an alternate entry so he was waiting to get points um and to be able to qualify and i mean he had to wait till the last minute i watched it back on youtube the race because i wouldn't typically like follow racing and i'd watch it if it was on the TV, but I just, it's not something that I always think to watch necessarily, but oh my God, like your heart is in your mouth at the end when he's coming up on the inside. And I couldn't believe that this is like only the second time in Kentucky Derby history that something like this has happened. And that the last time there was an upset this large, I love that they called it an upset as well. But the last time there was an upset this large was in 1913. Yeah, it's amazing. And even from the number 20 slot in the starting gate for a horse to win that far. But, you know, the interesting note that the owner made this week was that, or last week, he said, you know, if we would have qualified we would have had to go in the post position draw and we might have drew post position number one uh, and maybe this wouldn't have all turned out. So the fact that they were on pins and needles leading up to Derby and then did get in, um, you know, I mean, it's incredible because that number 20 post position ended up working out for them. And Nancy, I wanted to ask, so it said um, in one of the articles that the first four horses that were in the lead for the beginning of the race um, didn't even place in the top 10. And I think that's typical for a race of this pace. The ones that break early um, don't manage to make it. But how how do you like how it's just the. That kind of blew my mind because I was like, you have to try and hold them back and conserve their energy, obviously, for the final stretch. 
But how, what do you do if you end up breaking and you're in the front? Like, do you pull them back? Well, I thought that you couldn't do that in a race. Yeah, some um, horses have led the whole mile and a quarter and won the race. It all. This is what they attribute it to. Um, and I've listened to a lot of different opinions, but it seems like everyone's on the same page about this horse's pedigree. And instead of a pedigree breeding for speed, they bred stamina into this horse. And that mm-hmm. is what the industry has kind of gotten away from in recent years. They were always breeding for speed. And it's so great to see that this horse was bred for stamina, not not the turf, but stamina on the dirt. And it's like he was bred for this race. And the fact that the point system, you know, he what did not really uh, was thought of as even a qualifier. They didn't have enough points, you know. I mean, he ran last in his maiden special weight race back in August 2021. Now, that was at Ellis Park. That was on the turf. August at Ellis Park, which is in a river bottom in Kentucky, um, that the humidity, you can cut it with a knife. So I've been there with horses in the summer, and it can be unbearable. And so the trainer, Eric Reed, who's been in the business for a number of years, he read more into that poor performance and uh, thought it was the turf. The horse does not have the turn of foot for the, for the turf. So anyway, Kate, um, it was the, I think the breeding and it was the early fractions of that race that tired mm-hmm. those early runners were the late comers, those what you know we talked about slow twitch muscle involvement when that kicks in they've got extra stamina to be able to take over and and wear down those early runners and i love there was a quote from the jockey sonny leon and he said i had to wait until the stretch and that's what i did he just waited and then the rail opened up and he wasn't nervous he just said he was excited to go. But the final kind of sentence he said was that nobody knows my horse like I know my horse. And he's not a well-known jockey, it seems. And there was even a discussion, um, a typical discussion of, you know, what jockey if we get to the derby. And it was the trainer that said, we stick with Sonny, we keep him on rich strike. So I think like that combination, because even at one point in the race, you can see where it's almost like Rich Strike is stuck behind another horse, like coming right up to the end and he needs to just break free. And you can see the jockey just kind of help him maneuver around that horse. And then that's when he just breaks to the front. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, we always bring research into this. I, was thinking, you know, I saw all the people that attend the Derby and with COVID, um, you know, in 2020, there were no, uh, you know, it was very few attendees. I think it might've even been just owners, trainers and jockeys, and that was it. And then 2021, um, 
I do believe they limited it, but then to see it back full force, the tradition that Kentucky Derby, like, um, you know, the Grand National, the Epsom Derby, you know, it's, you know, it's got a history and a tradition to it. And the Kentucky Derby came, the first one was 1875 after um, the grandson of Lewis and Clark was in France and observed the pomp and circumstance of this horse racing and, and all that. And he wanted to bring that to America. And there is a, a 2021 research paper out that says traditions give a sense of well-being and contentment to the country and also on, in a global way. And boy, we needed this kind of a derby in this day and age that we're living in. And it's such great like attraction for tourism. Um, I think as well, it's what I love is I just love a good underdog story. And the fact that the owner of Rich Strike is like, I think he said this is really his beginning in um, his racing career. So he had won less than 10 races in his life. And he defeated a horse that was owned by one of the most successful owners in the business, whose previous runners have bankrolled more than $28 million. Yeah. And, and you know what, that's what's so neat about this is that, you know, we can, you, I always say you can't buy a derby. If you could, the richest men in the world would be winning it. And that's not the case mm -hmm. here. We get a trainer that's been in it 40 plus years and, you know, was running at Belterra Park and then takes the horse from Belterra to Churchill Downs, just crazy. And what a movie or a book that would make. Oh, and I'm sure it will. Yep. And the, the um, that research about traditions and how we need to return to that, um, especially after the pandemic and the economic um, problems. And then the Ukraine, we all see that on the news every night. It's like this horse has turned into America's horse. And it's just kind of like Frankel in the UK. I mean, I was following his every race when Henry Cecil was racing him. So it's so odd the way History and the horse have always been connected and people and horses. Here we are, we're in this high tech age and the past couple of weeks, we've all been focused on a horse and a horse race. It's just, it's such a great story, but it's, if you haven't watched the um, footage of it, it's absolutely brilliant. Like just such I, the emotion that's tied into it, like I can only imagine in my dreams what that would feel like to be that jockey and to cross that finish line. Like it must be just the highest of highs. Yeah. And, and, and you know what I wanted to also say is that, um, you know, the horse was still in that fight or flight mode after the race he attacked um, the pony horse and that outrider did fantastic job and could 
controlling the situation. And because if you have a loose horse, you endanger the other horses, the other riders and people. And when that horse was given over to its groom, you could see immediately the groom, who's Jerry Dixon Jr., calm that horse down. And you could just see his energy level drop. You know, that was the neat part. That groom in him totally connected. And that's what it takes sometimes in sports for all the entities to be on the same page and to have a connection. And so in this instance, you've got the groom, the trainer, the owner, and the jockey. And the, jo the jockey, it was his first grade one win. That is unheard of, you know. So it's just an incredible story. First graded win for the owner, the um, trainer had had a graded stakes placing, but not a win. And then you've got the groom whose father worked for Eric Reed, the trainer's dad, Herbert. So it's just like this was like everything was falling into place. So a great story. Um, if I was to do research on this, I think if you could measure emotional commitment to an animal, it, it would prove that that's one of the winning combinations that you need. Definitely. And Nancy, those pony horses, like what do they, what exactly is their job? Because I know the rider on the pony horse will, um, like, is it like basically escort the <laughs> It is. It, Resource? Yeah, and, and it's to um, help control and, and get, because you've got so many people, and it's like a rock concert um, at that place, and it's just to help control the horse so they don't get hurt um, going back to the winner circle. And um, I can't remember what the attendance was. Do you know, Kate? I know the articles we've read told the attendance, but it's an incredible, I want to say 150,000 people. And so the noise factor is enough right there. But the pony horse mainly is to give the jockey a breather and to get jockey and horse, um, all, you know, back safely to the winner circle. And then, um, you know, in this instance, I've never seen this before where, the winner actually attacked the pony, but um, that just shows he was he was on. And I was so happy to um, see the report that there was no drugs involved, uh, all blood work on the Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby days came back clear. So that is a really good thing for racing because, you know, we've We've been under the gun for this, as we should be. And uh, it was just overall a great derby. It was, you were correct, Nancy. It was just shy of 150,000 people. And 150,000 people with your run-of-the-mill Kentucky Derby win is going to be loud. But with a win like this, um, I mean, the noise level must have been incredible. The energy of the jockey on the horse's back is going to be through the roof. So, you know, you can understand that there's so many elements, race aside, that's going to wind a horse up. 
and obviously the the pressure got a bit much at the end and he did lash out to bite that pony horse but um all ended well so um i think all was okay with both pony and rider and yeah the rider of that pony horse handles it as best he could in that situation there so was, overall it was just incredible there was a photo of the um rich strike with the outrider's leg in his mouth and then he he had the reins of the pony horse in his mouth he was just going for anything he could get a hold of and i mean i've never seen anything like it but that outrider did not let go and he hung in there and i tell you what uh people were upset because he um you know, struck at the horse, but that's the way other horses would have handled it. You know, you don't want to see my alpha mare if she gets mad, you know, she'll double barrel the other horses. And, you know, that's when they're speaking their language and they'll give warning with pinned ears and they'll give those little signs. And then if horse doesn't listen, then it's, you know, watch out. And I think in this case, uh, what we saw the outrider do, I mean, he was, he had his work cut out for him and he probably saved the horses getting hurt. So uh, the pony horse did get beat up and had to be taken to the farm for some turnout and healing up. So, um, you know, that's the other thing. you got to protect the pony horses too. Um, Nancy, I had one last question just from a general observation I had from one of the pictures. But why do they wear, why do the jockeys wear two sets of goggles? Is that for when they get to the last stretch? Yeah, like um, they, some even wear six sets. I mean, what they do is when you're in a pack of 20 horses, that dirt is flying and, um, you know, you can peel off the top goggle and keep on going. You got clean goggles then until the next one gets dirty, you peel them off. And uh, it, especially on a muddy day, you'll have multiple uh, pairs of goggles on that helmet. So it's surprising how hard that dirt hits you too. It it feels like a hockey puck hitting you because I've been, on the track before galloping and and got hit by a dirt clod. And let me tell you, it's, they're so hard and they hit you. It feels like a paintball hitting you, you know? So um, I can't imagine in 20 horses, you've got to maneuver, plan, ride the horse. You're going 40 plus miles per hour. I mean, it's really a lot in coordination. They're athletes to be able to do that. That's incredible. um, The one thing I did want to say is um, the next triple crown race is this Saturday. It's the Preakness. And I was, I'm so happy to report that um, the Reed team, um, Eric Reed and Richard Dawson and the group, they opted to pass on it. So they said they, the horse's training dictates he runs every five weeks. So they're going to do what's right by the horse. And they didn't even enter him in the Preakness. So um, they're going to go for the Belmont. So the Belmont will be three weeks from this Saturday. And that's kind of admirable that they're going to forego 
the chance for a triple crown uh, in light of they're going to do what the horse has kind of told them he likes to do, and that's uh, run every five weeks. That's amazing to see, you know, the importance of just putting the horse first in these um, types of situations, because, you know, we're money is an incentive and it can definitely push people to push the animal too far. Yeah. And you know what, sometimes you let that fame and, and, you know, wanting to go down is the horse that won the triple crown. You let that as a trainer get a hold of you and you sometimes, um, you know, you've got to stay focused on what's best for the horse. And in this case, they did, and I was listening to Richard Dawson talk this week, wonderful podcast Steve Bick puts on. It's a daily podcast on uh, the racing industry, and uh, Richard Dawson on that podcast said the horse is now America's horse, and they have to take care of him, and he said what the horse has done for his family, they needed this at this point in time. So I just, that always gets me because, you know, to me, horses are important. We do this every week, this podcast, Kate. Horses have kind of, are important to us. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's great when you can um, kind of share that with people who don't know much about horses at all. I think it's, um, it is, it's, the driving force behind why we're still here almost two years later. Yep. So, but anyway, um, that is all I had on. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Nancy. And we'll see you all next week. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kate. Take care.